The first thing that tilts me either way is how much hyperbole is in what they're saying. How much are they saying this is the best thing ever? You know, we're gonna we're gonna decimate the launch industry. You know, the, everyone's gonna no that no hyperbole is usually a cover for insecurity, and there's a reason. The next thing that that I kind of look for is how much financial knowledge is in what they're saying, and do you actually understand the impact the time value of money has on what you're doing? That's the biggest thing we find, especially for anything that's beyond a business that's going to have customers within the next you know, 12 months. There's a very little appreciation for how hard it is to close a sale, how hard it is to deliver on that, and then to get to the point where you can make profit. We're back with another episode of the Cold Star Project. I am here with Michael Mealing, general partner at Starbridge Venture Capital. And obviously I want him on in his venture capitalist, uh, evil venture capitalist capacity. But you're also president of the Moon Society. And let's begin with that. Thanks for being here, first of all. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, this is going to be a, a fun way to spend Memorial Day. So. Right, right. Yes. Thank you for being here on a holiday. So, uh, President of the Moon Society, I want to know what the organization's mission is and, and what you're working on with it. Sure. Um, so, yeah, my, my day job is Starbridge Venture Capital. I'm a general partner. Um, but in addition to that, uh, as many in the, in the space business are, we all have side things that, that we're involved in usually some space advocacy group. Um, I'm the president of the Moon Society, which is essentially what uh, to the moon, what the Mars Society is to Mars. Um, it's a much smaller organization just because um, it didn't have uh, someone like Robert Zubrin or some of the, the charismatic people in the Mars Society advocating for it. But it's been around for um, almost 20 plus years now, yeah. And, um, we are working toward a lunar development conference. It's coming up on July 19th and 20th, purely online virtual conference. And um, that was as a result of the International Space Development Conference that was canceled for this year. We decided to take the lunar track for that and turn it into a small virtual conference. Um, in addition to that, uh, some of us within Starbridge are also involved in something called the Integrated Space Plan, which uh, some of your listeners may have the poster on their wall. Um, that is actually something related to the, to the fund where uh, we spend a great deal of time planning out and thinking about where the space industry is going to be at in 10, 15, 20 years. And I'll get into the, a little bit about that later when we talk about how venture capital works. Um, and I also run a small nonprofit called the Wayfaver Foundation, um, which is focused on human lunar settlement. Um, okay. and I'm sure I've probably got other nonprofits stashed away somewhere that I don't even remember. <laughs> collect yeah. them. Well, you've been in space a long time, you know, so it's, it's <laughs> great to have that history. And, I, you know, I kind of joke with this. Uh, Chris Stott was somebody that I was thinking about as an example of that. If you're around for a long time and you create one thing every two or three, four years, and you're in for 20 years, you've created a lot of things, right, with legs that stick around. So when is the, the Moon Conference going to be? It's uh, July 19th and 20th. Okay, um, so I'm going to have to make sure that this episode comes out before then. Sure. Uh, and you'll have a link, I guess you can share with me, that I'll put in the description. Uh, moonsociety.org. Okay right there on the front page. Fantastic. 
All right. Well, let's get into the venture capital here then, which is really the subject of season three of this show, The Cold Star Project. Um, I, I want to find out your perspective on how venture capital is supposed to work for space companies. You have experience with the seed round uh, from Seraph's group and also now Series A and beyond with Starbridge. Sure. So um, for the listeners that are not you know, intimately familiar with venture capital, um, and I know a fair number of startups that have even been funded by venture capital that still don't know how the actual venture capital fund works. Um, just like the startups that we fund, we have to go out and find people to invest in us. So we're basically money managers. So we find what are called limited partners who give us a certain amount of money um, and they can take that money and invest it in companies. The way we invest is on the equity side. We don't do debt. Um, which means that once I put that money in, the only way I'm going to get it out is if somebody buys my stake in that company. Um, that's what's called an exit. Sometimes the exits are the company was bought by another larger company. Sometimes the exit is an initial public offering, which is actually very rare these days. Um, and then sometimes, especially in the case of somebody like SpaceX, they're what are called secondary markets where you can sell your shares to other investors, but the company is still private. It's not on a public exchange. And so generally those are the three ways you get your money back. The, the reason people give us that money to manage is because venture capital, because of how it invests and when it invests in the lifetime of the company generally generates a higher rate of return over a distributed list of companies. So your, your, you have usually at least 15 companies in any given fund, um, you'll have maybe one or two that exit out at 30 times your original money. And that's what's called making the fund. And that's what the investors are looking for is that access to that 30X return. Um, in order to increase the odds of that 30X return, you, that's where you get the, the statement that uh, venture capital funds look for a 10X exit. Mm -hmm. Well, everything in the fund has to at least be 10x in order for the odds of one or two to be 30 because the other 80%, you'll be lucky if you get your money back. Hmm. And so that's why it's uh, every one of your investments has to swing for the fences because the number of strikeouts far outnumber the home runs. And so that that's... Uh, the way venture capital works. How, one of the things that people get confused about is how a fund gets paid. Once a company exits and we get the money back, um, we then split the profit from that sale 80-20 with the original investors that invested in fund. So that's what's called carry. And that 20% is what we in the venture business kind of live for. We do charge a small 2% fee year over year as maintenance to deal with the expenses. But the reason you're in the business is really to get that 20% carry. Okay. Well, thanks for explaining those terms because sometimes people will blow past them and I know the listeners will be going, what? <laughs> and so right. that, that clears that up. So, okay. We're in an industry where we're dealing with like rocket ships and satellites and fuel and, and physical things, right? We're not moving bits. Uh, we're moving atoms, right? To use a sort of Reed Hoffman example. We can't scale up in the way that Airbnb can usually, right? right. So what kinds of, of companies, space companies, do you look for? What are the features um, that make you go, hey, we, we should check this out? 
so to go back to your Airbnb example, um, those businesses can scale up fast, um, but they can still scale up. And in space, we have the same thing. There is, you'll hear a lot of startups saying, what's your total addressable market? Your TAM. And that says, how big of an industry are you selling into? Um, TAM for us is kind of like, yeah, I, you know, that number is, is about as fictitious as any you get. What I'm really interested in is given your business model and your solution, how much of that are you, can you reasonably um, capture and how fast can you capture it? In an area where there's not a lot of existing competition, there, the odds are greater that you're able to acquire most of that. But as soon as you, some, as you demonstrate that, there, that there's a market there, somebody else is gonna come in and take it away from you. Um, and so while you may not have the speed at which an Airbnb is, the market that you're going into has to be roughly on that same scale. Um, and so when you, we look at a given company, we're looking for the business model, not the technology. Um, and this is one of the challenges that we face whenever I get pitched by, on, a, on a new company is they spend all their time talking about the technology and hardly any time talking about, okay, what's the actual problem you are solving for a customer? Um, and if you could solve that, that problem well, without ever building anything in space and you can do it for a lot less money, do that. Don't pick the intentionally hard problem. Um, but that said, there are a lot of problems that space does solve that are very difficult to solve. So, for example, one of our portfolio companies is a company called Link Global. What they discovered was they could build a spacecraft that was able to mimic a cell phone tower. Hmm. And it sits in low Earth orbit, uh, about 300 kilometers. And a, an unmodified cell phone on Earth can access that, that satellite as a cell phone tower. The problem they solved was your cell phone was never really able to, to contemplate the idea that a cell phone tower would be flying by at 17,000 miles per hour. So it's a Doppler shift problem. Mm. But what that means is they can go to all the mobile network operators out there, the Sprints, the AT&Ts, the Oranges, all the other big ones, and say, you sell this to your customers and just write me a check every month. And so it's not a consumer play. It solves a problem for a mobile network operator where their customers can now get access to their network anywhere on the planet. And they do it at a low enough cost that the mobile network operator is probably willing to put that into your mobile plan for free because of the additional sales they make on it. And so this company has a regular check coming in that solves a problem that nobody else can solve and it makes huge margins. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we're kind of looking at. So yeah, it takes a little bit longer to get to market than say throwing together a web app in, into the um, Apple store, but their time to market really is measured, measured in about three to four years, which in technology circles is reasonable time what we have to wait on is they get to market, then they have to grow. They have to grow to a point that if someone is interested in buying them out, that they can demand a price. And that's what we're looking for is the timing related to that. And that's one of the reasons why venture capital funds generally, la generally last about 10 years. You do most of your investing in the first three years, 
you grow for about six years, and then in your last three to four years, you're harvesting. It's when you're expecting the companies to exit. Um, and that's one of the reasons why you will find most venture capitalists do think very thematically, and they also have longer time horizons mm. than most people think. The fund itself has to return within that 10 years. Mm. And this is a challenge within the space business because most of our businesses take a little bit longer than 10 years. Um, but we do all think, okay, I've got, I do a new fund every year and a half to two years. So I'm constantly thinking about where is the market going to be 10 years from now, because that's when I'm going to be selling my companies mm -hmm. off. So we're constantly looking far ahead, not what's right in front of us. Okay. Hmm. So uh, some new information there, some stuff that I personally already knew. Uh, what other than uh, the money do you provide to that company that you're investing in? Um, guidance? What, what sort of uh, other, other services? Um, we provide guidance where they ask for it. We are very investor friendly um, and company friendly. We find it friendly to both sides. And in the case of the companies, where they need help, we try and provide it. Um, a lot of times that is in helping them source new employees, especially leadership, um, because of the networks that we have. And then it's also, for example, I spent a lot of time at Maston Space Systems, and so the, the Maston Space Alumni it, network is huge. And so there's a lot of people there that if somebody's looking for a new engineer or project manager, that's a great place to help out. Um, we also do help them a little bit with understanding the competitive landscape, especially when they're an earlier stage company. And, and sometimes it's really is just, you know, a shoulder to cry on sometimes. Um, the, 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 the pandemic that we're in right now, there are a few companies that are like, what do you think? What's going on? What, you know, what do you see out there? You know, should I panic? And like, nope, just stay put. Um, so it really is whatever they need, but, there are some venture capital funds out there that when they make an investment, they deep dive. They're running the company right alongside you. Um, other companies, other venture funds, unless there's a problem, you know, it's kind of hands off. We're a little bit in the middle. Okay. What will you not invest in and why? Sure. Um, we won't invest in something that's a pure technology, doesn't have a market, you know, as I already mentioned. Um, we also don't invest in places that are already, and it's, and it feels weird to call the small set launch market mature, but with the, you know, hundred plus companies trying to make a go of it, it's too crowded. We really do think that the companies that have already been funded and are either flying already or very close to flying are going to be the ones that win. Um, because yes, the small set market is price sensitive, but the reason it exists is because it's schedule sensitive. So if you're talking about a slight marginal improvement in price, then that's not that compelling of a reason to be able to try to displace a current player. So it's just way too crowded. Um, another area that is just about as crowded is small sat, small spacecraft propulsion, uh, various types of electric thrusters, water thrusters, ion, um, and there are so many of those, it's very hard to differentiate. 
Um, the funny thing is, if you trace some of the lineage for where the original research came from, um, most of it has come from about four different PhD, four different professors mm -hmm. and their students taking the mm -hmm. basic technology they learned and building a company out of it. Um, but one of the things that we try, we, we do think about is the closer you are to the customer that realizes the bulk of the value proposition, the higher the margins are you're able to demand. So data analytics companies are very interesting to us because they're the ones that turn raw data into something meaningful. And that's what the customer is finally at the end of the day looking for. Um, let's see what else. We don't invest in anything that the, the timeline for building it is so far in the future because we don't, one of the things we, in our documents to our LPs, we say this is a 10 year fund. If we have to, we'll extend it another two years, but it would be bad faith for me to invest in something knowing I'm not going to get my money after 20 years. It, so we, we tend to avoid those. We are looking at innovative financial ways of dealing with long-term companies, but that's a bit of a challenge. Um, so yeah, in-space propulsion and uh, rocket and you know, launch is the two that we avoid right now. This is Jason Gannigan from Cold Star Tech, and I'm excited to share with you a new offer from Cold Star that we are bringing out to help both space founders and venture capitalists who fund space companies. And it's on two levels. The lower level is a VC who is looking at possibly funding a space company, but they just don't get it. Right? And a lot of tech founders want to come out and create some sort of technical capability, but they do not understand business. And so you'll look and you'll go, where's the customer here? Where's the business model? And they'll go, huh? But I want to make rockets or something, right? And, and it's really cool. Well, that, as we know from the dot-com era, is not a viable business model. And so you bring us in. We've got great technical expertise on the space side. Folks who have done this sort of assessment before, like our technical engineering advisor, Dr. Rick Fleeter, myself in the process engineering field, plenty of other people with brains to look at this problem so that you don't have to blow your brains out trying to figure out how to make this work. And on the company side, it's a benefit for them because we will show them the roadmap to how you're going to get funded, how, how you will want to fund them, what changes to make to get VCs excited about putting money in. And so that's good for you. <laughs> the second level is at a, a deeper and higher level at the same time. It is for venture capitalists who have uh, given a seed round to a company a space company and that has gone on for a little while six months a year something like that and it is time as uh, COVID has made it to double down or get out those are pretty much the choices right it's time to invest further in a thing we already know which seems to be the direction VCs are going in right now uh, they don't seem to want to look at new things uh, or or stop just kill the project and so the good news is in that situation, there's a lot more going on. There's more meat for Cold Star experts to get in and, and analyze, right? You're going to have processes in place, whether they know it or not. We'll be able to flowchart those and, and maybe accurately document them for the first time so we can get some kind of value chain going in the organization. We'll be able to test whether the leadership is the right group of people or whether you're missing something, the strategic direction, the business model, all this stuff. So. If this sounds interesting to you, reach out to us. You can email me at jason at coldstartech.com or just connect with me and message me on LinkedIn. That's probably the best way to do it. 
And uh, I am excited to talk to you. The, the kind of transformation that we're able to offer here is beyond anything you'll see out there. And as a VC, this will save you so much time and energy, right? Like if you're a VC and you've got 100 companies to look at, you've got three days a year <laughs> to, to look at each one maybe, right? That's not really good enough, is it? Wouldn't it be better to have uh, experienced, expert space people who understand space, right? Look at this investment and tell you, here's a grade, right? Here are several grade areas. Is this thing ready to pour gasoline on the fire or is it just going to go up in smoke? This is Jason Kanig from Cold Star Tech. Let's get back to the interview. This next question you put on here, and it's of great interest to me because I'm writing a paper arguing for this very thing. And uh, hopefully I can use a quote from you in it as <laughs> a supporting thing. Um, why does the space sector need sector-focused VCs? <laughs> I'm in complete agreement. Um, okay, there is actually some research by the National Venture Capital Association and also the Angel Capital Association that says that sector-focused funds generally have a higher rate of return. It's because those sector-focused funds understand the competitive landscape, they understand the risks, um, and they have the network necessary to be able to source new people for the companies that they're invested in, but they're able to verify claims. That's one of the things that we've found is there have been other companies that other people have invested in that when we looked at it, we, we just will pick up the phone and call the customer and said, you know, so-and-so said that you're, that they've sent you their piece of technology and they said that you said it's great. And they're like, yeah, we got it. Never tried it. Didn't work. So we don't know what they're talking about. We can do that. When you're not, when you don't understand a sector well enough, your risk is higher your access to quality deal flow is, in, is, in, is significantly worse. So if you look at our portfolio, um, Made in Space, Axiom, Link, and a few others, most of those deals, a lot of people didn't even know they existed or don't have access to the network to be able to get in on those deals. Um, and so that's, that's part of it. So if you come from outside and you don't have that history, getting plugged into the network is so hard that you're getting everyone else's rejects. Hmm. And so that's part of it. Yeah, making a portfolio out of broken parts, probably a bad idea. <laughs> exactly, yeah, that's a great idea. That, yeah. Can I steal that quote? Yeah. All right. <laughs> sure. Okay, well, you've talked about the, uh, the time frame of, you know, the portfolio's uh, only supposed to exist for 10 years, the fund comes in and disappears once it's done, everybody's supposed to have, uh, you know, made their money back and closed the book on it. Um, and so you have to be looking out more than that into the future. What sorts of things do you see coming over the next decade uh, in terms of space investment? Um, one of the themes, so there's, there's really three major ones um, that are in the short term. Um, when you look at the industry as a whole right now, even going back to the 60s, it's either earth observation or communications. Mm -hmm. But what you're seeing is a wholesale change in the underlying technology. Um, in telecommunications, the bulk of the money was made in direct broadcast television, analog, you know, the big dishes in the backyard kind of thing. 
And what you're seeing now is all the content is moving to the internet. So you're doing internet broadband. So that's why you're getting this change from big analog geo satellites that do nothing but broadcast to Leo um, broadband constellations. That's disruptive and there you see getting a lot of money flowing from one to the other. Um, in Earth observation, um, since a lot of technologies were declassified and uh, earlier last week, the regulations were streamlined for getting access through NOAA for getting a license to do Earth observation. You're getting a lot of innovation there that is doing what the, the, the spooks in the DOD were only able to do even 10 years ago. Um, so we're invested in synthetic, synthetic aperture radar. Uh, we're also in, very interested in hyperspectral, which is, it's a camera, but it's really a spectrometer that you would see on, around on a spacecraft in some other planet. But they have enough spectral lines that a really good hyperspectral company can look at a crop on the ground and actually diagnose the diseases and the nutritional uh, deficits of the crop from space. And that's information that the farmer can use immediately. You get the same thing in oil and gas. And so you're gonna see a wholesale change where we feel that in the future, within the next you know, three to five years, you're gonna have optical, very high resolution optical, very high revisit time. Mm -hmm. Synthetic aperture radar for being able to see through the clouds at night um, and through things. SAR can, is, makes a really ghost-like image. Um, hyperspectral, uh, and video. Hmm. Um, video is an interesting one because the constellation proposals that we've seen have enough satellites that you can have three video cameras on one point from three different vantage points. And at that point with some you know, VR stitching, I can put you standing in a VR headset anywhere in the world in real time. Hmm. And so the, there's some interesting kind of very spooky applications of that. So it's really those four is the change that we're about to see. Um, beyond those, and those are just disruptions in existing markets. We also see in-space manufacturing being one that's gonna start growing significantly. Mm. Um, and that comes from cheaper access. And it really is around things that have low mass but high value. Um, obviously everyone's heard about the Z-Bland fiber, production and that's one of the reasons why we invested in Navy Space. But there's also uh, people working on taking silicon carbide wafers from IC manufacturers, taking them up to space in bulk, uh, exposing them to vacuum and zero gravity and re-annealing the surface for a much higher quality semiconductor. Mm -hmm. uh, you get uh, industrial crystal growth for industrial applications. Um, there is uh, some suggestion that pluripotent stem cells stay pluripotent, even though they divide in zero gravity. So if you want to grow a large number of your own stem cells, you would send it up to the station, let it sit there for about a month and grow to a large mass that you can then use for treatments. And they're, and they're yours, they're mm. to each person. Um, there's a lot of, of bio, you know, you know, there's always the 3D organ printing um, that one's interesting because you don't need a, uh, um, a structure to hold the organ together. And so in-space manufacturing is one, but that was part of the reason why we invested in Made in Space because there was no way in-space manufacturing was going to be workable on the International Space Station. 
Mm -hmm. um, the, the, the quality of microgravity is horrible. You don't have enough staff on board. You don't have enough power or everything. And so when we looked at what Axiom was doing and we talked to the portfolio companies that we had about that as a facility, they're like, yeah, I really can't grow my business if that doesn't exist. What do you think? Like, uh, you're not interested in, in investing in asteroid mining because that's too far out. Um, but you do want to do, you know, made in orbit, right? And, and right. so how do you handle the need for raw materials and resources up there? So while, right. So while we're not investing in asteroid mining, we are looking at investing in things that make asteroid mining easier in the short term that have terrestrial applications. So we are very interested in various robotic mining companies because the need on the earth is huge. 60% of the cost of a mine is human resources. Mm -hmm. And, but the same technology can easily be used in, in space. Um, so we don't invest in the asteroid mining. We just invest in all the tools that get you there. And okay. so the manufacturing, most of the technology is going to, the materials are going to come from the earth because they're already going to be pre-built. They're the, it's, it's like a, it's the last finishing step that happens in space and you bring it back down. Once you, the only way that we know of where you are actually gonna start using in space resources is for things that stay in space. Mm -hmm. um, and that's where we have a bit of a, a blind spot in the future. So there are things that we invest in and everything's going great right now and there's a lot of opportunities, but we do see this thing coming off from the horizon where unless someone starts doing something big in space permanently to be able to create that to justify those all that infrastructure everyone talks about we could see running out of things to invest in in about 20 years mm. and when your funds are 10 years that's not that long in the future so we talk a lot about, so Elon is building Starship. Even if you think he is going to be, take him twice as long and it's going to be half as good, that capability is still transformational. Mm. But we see no one planning to take advantage of that capability. Mm. So right now, if Elon is starting to build Starships in two years, they're going to sit there empty. We don't know what they're going to do. And so our challenge to the industry and even people beyond the industry, because I think that's one of the things that we in the space business um, fail at is we talk to each other, but we don't go talk to all those other industries that have never even thought about space before. And that's where the opportunity hmm. really lies. Well, and there's hope for me yet. <laughs> being the glue sure. in the middle. Anybody, I mean, I was an old IT guy, you know, yeah. before I got into space, I was doing internet stuff. So there's hope <clears> right. For you were CTO. Yeah. Right. And, uh, so that's kind of my challenge to our industry is don't leave Elon hanging, spending a lot of money to build a vehicle and then he has no customers. Um, that's part of the reason why we're so involved with the integrated space plan is trying to give people a roadmap. Um, and it's really, really difficult right now because we'll do something on the plan. A press release comes out the next week and I go, oh, I missed that. You know, that's screwed up. You know, change it again. Um, 
is helping people understand what the next 20, 30 years is going to look like. Okay. Well, that's exciting. And I'm going to keep paying attention to you <laughs> and what you have to say on that topic, because that's of interest to me. Uh, let me right let now, me it's I don't know. So yeah. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, the, the picture's always out of focus when we start off and you start turning the, the focus dial on that lens and getting it more and more focused right. every year until you've got a clear picture of what you can do and what you want. So uh, I have faith. <laughs> let me let me finish up, Michael, with a with a kind of an easy question, um, kind of a human resources type question, because you've talked a lot about uh, sourcing leaderships and your network and all that. And and for my own personal interest, I'm curious about your habit in this area. You, you've been to a lot of conferences uh, for probably 20 years. You've been going to conferences, I can tell. And uh, you're meeting people and you're assessing them. And then in the situation you're in now, or the role you're in now, you need good sources of information right to get uh, these these deals in line for example before anybody else has ever heard of them as an example right mm -hmm. how do you pick uh, who to trust and and what sources of information obviously I don't want you to give anything away uh, but but just in general generally speaking um, how do you know when somebody's got the right stuff and that you should listen to them or partner up with them the first thing that kind of tilts me either way is how much hyperbole is in what they're saying. Hmm. How much are they saying this is the best thing ever? You know, we're going to, we're going to decimate the launch industry. You know, the, everyone's going to no, that no. Um, you know, Coca-Cola didn't get to be as big as it is by one drink. It got that big because it bought everybody else out. And, hmm. and so it's, it's um, hyperbole is usually a cover for insecurity. And there's a reason. Um, the next thing that, that I kind of look for is how much financial knowledge is in what they're saying. And do you actually understand the impact the time value of money has on what you're doing? Um, that's the biggest thing we find, uh, especially for anything that's beyond a business that's going to have customers within the next, you know, 12 months is there's a very little appreciation for how hard it is to close a sale how hard it is to deliver on that and then to get to the point where you can make profit. Mm. Um, the other thing that, that has something that we've sort of kind of come to the conclusion on is a lot of times people want to be in another business, but they're using this one to hack their way huh. into it. So at Mastin, we did that. Um, Dave and the rest of us always wanted to build extraterrestrial landers. Landers on the earth were like, eh, you know, there's an atmosphere. Atmospheres are annoying. And, but the only way we could figure out at the time, this is 2005, six, um, when suborbital was the thing, we were say, okay, let's build suborbital because it's the only thing anybody's going to give us money to go do. And, and that's fine. But, I want to understand that. Tell me what you're doing this for. Don't, don't hide it. Don't try to think that I don't realize that you're, you're building a hack mm -hmm. because I can see that we've, for example, there's a lot of people that are now leaving the air mobility business because they realize that the, it's going to take forever for the FAA to certify it. And they're now getting into other tangential businesses but you just know the instant someone gets an air mobility company going and it looks like the FAA is going to certify it, they're going to shut that company down and go fly them back to what you know they want to do in their heart of hearts. 
And I would rather know, I have somebody that's honest as opposed to trying to hide what their, mo- their internal motivations are. But mm-hmm. you can tell, you can usually tell. Huh. <laughs> that's, that's very interesting. Okay. Well, Michael, uh, where can people go if they want to find out more about Starbridge and uh, connect with you perhaps? Sure. Um, so my last name is Mealing, M-E-A-L-L-I-N-G, two L's. Except for my mom and my sister, I'm pretty much the only Mealing on the internet. So I'm very, very easy to find on LinkedIn, Twitter, anything else. Starbridge Venture Capital is at starbridgevcvictorcharlie.com. And you can also find us on uh, LinkedIn as, a, as well. We publish content there, um, mostly on our website. We invest globally and we also take uh, investors globally. We have investors in Mexico and Canada, and we're branching out to India, Europe, and Southeast Asia. Um, so we're working on creating new content on our website that's multilingual, uh, so you can, you know, people outside the U.S. can, can take a look. Um, and there's several places on the website that you can contact us directly to get more details. Um, but again, just find me on LinkedIn or just michael at starbridgevc.com. Great, great. A very informative website. Uh, had some fun going through there. Um, you also were doing uh, like quick little webinar, office hour type yes. things um, yes. here and there. And I, I see Every, that in your post. Right. There's a, on our blog, there's a link there for Space Venture Capital Open Office Hours. So every Tuesday from 11 until 1, uh, we just have a Zoom where if something's going on, like obviously this week, you know, SpaceX is hopefully going to fly. Um, so that will probably be the topic. Um, but the, the listeners that show up, they can drive the topic elsewhere. Last week, it was all about uh, regulatory changes coming out from the National Space Council announcement. So, Fantastic. so yeah, uh, feel free to join me there. It's, it's a, what's interesting is for that, the majority of the people that join are outside the U.S. Mm. Okay. Um, India, Singapore, huh. Europe, um, Netherlands. Yeah, all over the place. All right. Well, I'll try and uh, be there for that this Tuesday, and uh, we'll see. Hopefully, it won't conflict with another recording. <laughs> but uh, that'll be enjoyable. All right. My guest today has been Michael Mealing, general partner at Starbridge Venture Capital and president of the Moon Society. Don't forget about that event uh, that he mentioned. That'll be linked in the description below. Thanks for being here, Michael. Thank you very much. You have a good day. This is Jason Canningham from Cold Star Tech. Thanks a lot for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you do want to get email notifications of upcoming episodes or episodes that have just been released and maybe a little news sprinkled in here and there, you can sign up for email notifications at coldstartech.com slash MSB. That's short for Make Space Boring. That's another little show that I do. It's uh, once, twice, three times a week, something like that. Anytime there's news or uh, an update on who I'm meeting and, and what I'm uh, studying in the space field. So you can go check that out. On the YouTube channel, I can do something that I cannot do on uh, Anchor for the audio only uh, side of things. The YouTube channel allows me to have playlists. And so you might want to go to the channel, the Cold Star Tech channel, and check out those playlists because you will find, you can go down a rabbit hole basically into several areas like space law and policy, uh, small sats. And I think that's a lot easier than trying to scroll through 130 episodes or something like that, <laughs> looking for the thing that you want. So I recommend going and checking that out. 
And remember, if you're ready to take your space business to the next level or you're a VC looking for a deep and very valuable insight into a space company you're looking at investing in or investing further in, come and talk to us. Thanks for listening. Thank you.